The Start On Demand. On demand. To say what we saw on Wednesday in Washington was surreal would be beyond understatement. Stunning images, stunning video, stunning events as protesters storm the Capitol. All kinds of reaction today on The Start. Should the Guess Who be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? A group of dedicated fans based out of Winnipeg and across Canada have launched a petition to try to make that happen. And we want you to name something you don't miss from before the pandemic. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 7th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, when we hear the phrase, a day which will live in infamy, we think of Pearl Harbor. Well, Greg, yesterday we heard that from the U.S. Capitol. 1.15 in the afternoon, our time, I was watching the proceedings in the U.S. Capitol. When something seemed amiss, you could hear a disturbance on a split screen on... uh, every one of the cable news networks I was flipping uh, uh, between four of them and um, members of Congress were removed, including the vice president of the United States as uh, protesters made their way into the Capitol building. And as you heard in global news with Skylar Peters, that same United States Congress finally formally validated Joe Biden's presidential election victory. The house and Senate certified the Democrats electoral College win early this morning, and it was, in fact, Vice President Mike Pence announcing the vote totals. The votes for President of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden, Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The fact that they got back to the business of the people, Loren, absolutely incredible, but more incredible The violent throng of pro-Trump riders spending hours yesterday running rampant through the Capitol. An absolutely incredible sight, uh, one that made me sick to my stomach, I'll have to confess. Yeah, you know, I've spent a lot of my career, as you guys know, uh, traveling to different countries where citizens of those countries are fighting for the freedoms we have here and the rights we have here, right? And so I've seen full-blown coups and people working for their first democratic vote ever. I've been to different pockets of the Middle East where fights and and people will siege and run at, you know, major religious centers or their own parliaments or you know, I just I've been I've been a lot of places where I've seen this and you think, "Okay, that <laughs> That maybe makes sense for here or where I'm at. And it didn't make sense to me yesterday in the sense that this is America. This is like this, this is not something you see. And over and over and over again, we heard that last night in the coverage. And I, I flipped to all the channels and tried to read as much as possible last night. And what really stood out for me uh, was a tweet from NBC's correspondent, Richard Engel, who said he calls it the dictator's treadmill. When a strong man can't leave power, he wrote, doesn't want to leave power because if they do and get off, they crash. So they fight and it happens all over the world. 
you just didn't expect it to see it in our world. I don't think, I don't think many people expected to see it. And that's the word that needs to be used for him. And we need to have some serious conversations today about moving forward and, and finding hope and all sorts of things. But we got here for a reason, man. And, and I think perhaps the legitimacy or the efforts to legitimize who is Donald Trump is part of it. And I can't wait. We've got great conversations coming up at 707 with a historian prof uh, and another fantastic one at 745, because part of the reason why he, he's been legitimized, we gave him legitimacy is because of Twitter and Twitter finally stepped up and banned him last night for 12 hours. And then so did Facebook and so did Instagram. And so we're going to have a conversation at 745 about just the role that new media, social media has played in elevating this president to where he is and keeping him there. Also, Greg, I wonder if CNN at all feels guilty about how much they put Trump on before he was elected, because every time I turned on CNN, they were talking about Donald Trump for weeks, the months leading up to the election. Yeah, we're almost five years removed from that now. Donald Trump basically had a backdoor phone number to all the major news networks to call in whenever he wanted. And so when we have this discussion about social media, maybe it's media overall and this this hunger for ratings, this hunger for something new, which of course Donald Trump was in the political sphere. And now we're 13 days away from him leaving office. But there are many wondering if 13 days is plain and simply too long what could he accomplish or what could yeah. he destroy in the next 13 days? And so now we're hearing terminologies like the 25th Amendment being invoked uh, to remove him from office. Most experts that I've heard interviewed in the last 10 hours or so about this don't think it's likely. Articles of impeachment are being written and filed. Well, that's not likely to pass. And, and if it did pass, it would likely fall on deaf ears in terms of removing the president uh, prior to Joe Biden's inauguration. So lots of moving parts here, despite the fact that the protesters have been removed and the electoral college votes have been counted and certified by the Congress of the United States. So yeah, the alert that just came across my phone, and apologies, Brett, was uh, just now from CNN saying 13, the next 13 days could still be really dangerous, right, in terms of heading towards the inauguration on the 20th. And so... Oh, so many moving parts. And can you imagine, I got three different texts last night from family members and friends saying, invoke the 25th. And I thought, who were all these average people who actually know what the 25th Amendment is or didn't know 48 hours ago and now know very well that it's part of the, the clause in the U.S. that could could help remove the president before the 20th, Brett? And I just want to point out as well, I, I saw one tweet, or one of the tweets that made me laugh about all this. The tweet read, we spend $750 billion annually on defense, and the center of American government fell in two hours to the Duck Dynasty and the guy in the Chewbacca bikini. And you what can see... What's up with that? What's that? What was up with that outfit anyway? I don't know. I don't know. It looks kind of like a Viking. And then because I, I woke up this morning and I saw that because I saw Chewbacca was trending. And I thought, oh, OK, I'm a Star Wars fan. I got to see what's going on here. And people were saying, hey, don't associate Chewbacca with this guy. <laughs> so if you want to see the picture, it's front and center on our 680 CJOB Instagram story. Would love for you to follow us there. is in effect at 1800 hours until 600 hours tomorrow. All individuals must leave the U.S. Capitol grounds 
or be subject to arrest. As you know by now, supporters of U.S. President Donald Trump gathered en masse and stormed the Capitol building yesterday, breaching police barricades and forcing the building into a lockdown. Yeah, and those supporters of the Republican president entered the building, breaching the Senate and the private offices of elected officials. It came as a joint session of Congress commenced to confirm Joe Biden's 2020 presidential election victory. And so that work for the president resumed late last evening and concluded in the wee hours of the morning. The votes for president of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden, Jr., of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. Reggie Cicchini was on Capitol Hill for much of yesterday and while conducting a live report with Global News Toronto last evening, this happened. At the end of the day, President Trump supporters were told by President Trump uh, to take to the streets to bring their anger to the U.S. Capitol building. Uh, and that's what we saw happen today. Uh, Reggie, we want you to we want you to be safe, Reggie. Obviously, so if uh, there is something happening around you, uh, we are we are okay to stand down on on this interview. Who do you represent? Who do you represent, sir? This is uh, something. Guys, I do apologize. I do apologize for this right now. No, no worries, sir. We are a Canadian network. Global News, Reggie Cicchini joins us now. Reggie, uh, you okay after that interaction or is it something you're getting used to? Uh, look, we've we've been dealing with this for uh, the better part of four years now because uh, the president has, has made the media an enemy for tens of millions of Americans. So you do your best uh, to try and weather through what is sometimes just uh, an incredibly difficult storm. In the wee hours of the morning, I saw carved into the doors of the Capitol building murder the media and this is something that uh just will not go away the the this whole notion that the media is the enemy of certain uh, aspects of american life reggie safe to say yesterday a, a day unlike any other uh yeah i mean it, you know in this industry you always kind of look for the big news days because it's always going to be the story that uh you're going to be able to tell for a long time but sometimes when those stories show up you hope to never have to go through something like that again uh and there are going to be serious consequences from what happened yesterday there are going to be repercussions uh for how america operates going forward there're going to be questions as to why uh the city and wh- why the capital was so ill prepared uh for what had been discussed for days and weeks ahead of time this is a story that is not just going to end today or end 13 days from now. Let's start with that then, Reggie, with the with the phrase ill-prepared. There's so many people this morning wondering how, I mean, we we can we can point to how it got to that level in terms of the, the protesters, the rioters, people with the violence, but how did they get inside that building? I think that's going to be one of the key questions today. Yeah, look, that is an open question right now, especially because, look, President Trump had been calling for his supporters to come to Washington, D.C. for days. But on places like 4chan, on places like Parler, the information had been circling for weeks for telling people to come to Washington, D.C. And if the the votes weren't going to be flipped for Donald Trump to storm the Capitol, there was ample warning here. uh, And Capitol Police simply aren't uh, well equipped to deal with mob situations. In the summertime protests, we had riot police sent by the Department of Justice to take care uh, of protesters in the street. Those same police weren't deployed yesterday, whether it's because there just wasn't enough time to mobilize or whether it's because President Trump didn't want that kind of law enforcement used on his own uh, supporters. There are there are more questions right now uh, than answers, and this is going to take forever to sort out. Indeed, the fallout from yesterday's events are going to be calculated over months, possibly years, Joe Biden is scheduled to be inaugurated on January 20th. 
Can Donald Trump be allowed to remain president for 13 days? Well, I mean, he can be allowed. It's, he was elected by, by the people, but it's a question as to whether his executive cabinet or whether Congress thinks that he has the cognitive ability to be able to lead this country forward, given the fact uh, that he essentially gave carte blanche to his supporters uh, to do these acts of insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. There are avenues that can be used to remove President Trump from office. Democrats are now calling for a secondary, very quick impeachment process with no star witnesses, with nothing more than a vote to open close uh, and see if they have uh, enough support to remove President Trump from office. But we need to point out here, when that certification vote was taking place last night, guys, there were still Republicans that stood up and objected to the certified votes in Pennsylvania, despite what we saw happen at the Congress, uh, inside Congress uh, yesterday, which shows that there is still a faction inside the Republican Party that will put the president over their constitutional duties. There were some senators, there were some Congress people who, who changed their plan of, and forgive the uh, terminology here, of attack with regard to the Electoral College vote, uh, but also almost fisticuffs on the floor of Congress in the middle of the night as this was being debated. Yeah, and, and look, the, 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 the Republicans in the Senate, at least, they tried to band together to say we do not need to go in and debate uh, whether or not there is question over the, the validity of these certified results. Uh, but nonetheless, we still had people like Josh Hawley, people like Ted Cruz uh, stand up and say we need to object to Pennsylvania. And it raises a question as to why senators from one state are trying to object to the, uh, you know, the, the, the will of the, of the voter in another state. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell did not allow for anything other than a vote when they went to object. The House, obviously, with their hundreds of members, they carried through debate. But this really was kind of a stain uh, on American democracy as, as, you know, it leaves the open... It leaves the question open down the road to how many more elections are going to be interfered with uh, from uh, whatever president may be in power simply because they don't want to give up the power that they're holding. Yeah, and speaking of the person who doesn't want to give up the power that he's holding, it's Donald Trump, and he's been using Twitter for four years and beyond now, Reggie, to sort of speak to Americans and his supporters and anyone who wants to listen. He was banned from Twitter for 12 hours last night. So how is he getting his word out? What's he saying this morning? Yeah, look, not only was his stuff removed off of Twitter or he was forced to delete tweets, he was removed off of uh, Facebook for a while. He wasn't able to make posts there. These are the avenues that the president uses to talk to his supporters. So his comments last night after certification saying, you know, well, he doesn't really agree with the results, that there will be a peaceful transfer of power, whatever that means now, had to come via his own social media director, Dan Scavino, because President Trump simply couldn't do that. That said, there are still questions why President Trump was taking to social media to try to address the country uh, when most people have simply just blocked off his Twitter account, why he didn't go to, uh, to the cameras that are available to him and address the nation in a time of crisis. This is a president who still treats the job as something of vanity. Global's Reggie Giacchini joining us live from Washington, D.C. Thank you very much, as always, Reggie. Thank you. Name something you haven't missed during lockdown. I'll start. Gym selfies. <laughs> Unless your ponytail is caught up in the treadmill motor, I'm not interested <laughs> in gym pics. So that's the post. 
<laughs> that inspired the conversation. And, and this person's right. Jim selfies are annoying. It's either the guys, you know, with the, the gun show, or the, the women often will take pictures and they, like, contort their body to, like, in such unnatural ways to try to highlight their curves. But it just looks kind of silly. So, yeah, the Jim selfie, regardless of your gender, you look kind of dumb. So let's have a chat about that. Let's go around the horn here. Cam Poitras uh, is here, Skylar Peters, Jeff Forte, and, of course, Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Poitras, let's start with you. Um, uh, I don't miss people standing right behind me in a line. Mm. Um, I have, <laughs> I've come to enjoy that's, – that's the one thing I, I'm actually liking about the pandemic is that I don't have people breathing down the back of my neck standing in a line. Uh, you know, you give me my 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 six feet, and I, I hope that that sticks around. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point because I had somebody who was in like three feet of me at the grocery store the other day, and it and I wanted to turn around and say, "Hey, I, it's uncomfortable." It yeah. is, and I, I've like really realized how uncomfortable it is. Just 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 stay away. Give me give me four feet. That's all I'm asking for. Forte, uh, I gotta go. Okay, well, first I was thinking spending money unnecessarily. You know, you go out uh, on the <laughs> night for. On the town for a night. Jeez, I'm getting all that mixed up. You go out on the town for a night, and you spend like 100 bucks. Uh-huh. And like, I, I like to save that money now that the pandemic's here. But you know what? I kind of want to spend that money. I want to see my friends. I want to go out on the, on the town again. You want to go to the bar. Yes. I do too. I've still so, found ways to, to blow all of my cash. So you don't need, a, <laughs> you don't need pre-pandemic to do that. Uh, Skyler, what about you? Uh, kind of like forts, I guess. Like, I can't wait to... Uh, you know, go out with the fellas and go to a house party. But I was just thinking, like, how gross is beer pong? Like that, like oh, that. God. Not <laughs> Why do you need no to way. contemplate this, Skyler? <laughs> right? Like, what? Like, I, I thought it was gross at the best of times, but I still did it because I was, you know, like seventeen and dumb. But uh, yeah, like, there's no way I'm pouring my beer in a cup that had someone else's beer in it that they were drinking out of. And there's this ball that we were throwing around with all of our sweat, sweaty fingers touching it, and it goes on the floor and picks up dust and then goes in the cup again. And, yeah, this might be the death of drinking games or maybe just, like, card-based ones from here on out or something. So you don't miss beer pong? Well, I do. I miss playing it, but it, unless there's, like, a more sanitary way. The, the one way, I guess, is if you have, like, you fill all the cups up with water and they just stay there. And then if somebody hits your cup, you just take a drink out of your, your bottle or your can or your own cup, whatever you want. I guess that, like, if I Given go to a party and thought. there's just a, a gross <laughs> table of beer all over the place, I'm out. I never realized I'm how gross it is. I'm probably going to stay there, but I'm not going to go near the beer pong table. Well, you got to have the rinse cup beside, like, every, I, whenever I play with my buddy Mike's, uh, he, we've got the rinse cups beside. So the ball always gets rinsed off before it gets tossed. In the same cup of but water. But do you use though. the same cup again? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's good for one rinse. After a few drinks, you don't even notice it. I know. I Conversations know. Like... I never thought I'd have at 6.53 any morning. Uh, Loren, what don't you miss? Well, I've never been a fan of selfies at all. So it's not just the selfies at the gym that I abhor. It's like, I get it. Your back looks amazing enough. But I also am done with, I can't wait to go back to a restaurant, but please stop taking pictures of your food. Oh, I'm, I'm done terrible with that. With that. Mm. Oh, I know. And uh, I <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just mean, I like it when you send them bread because it's like, oh, that does look really good. 
But I just just enjoy the moment. You know, like I think if, if we've learned anything is the gift of this at all has been just enjoying being present. And so I'm just down with people taking pictures of everything. I, I will point out, I take the boomerangs of the food that I order because I want to put it on my social media and say, hey, this is a local restaurant you yes. should try. Yes. No, I, I totally get that. There's people who post it who uh, sometimes it's just like, look at this amazing meal I cooked. And it's like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> you're eating, you're hungry, you're making food. And, you know, and apparently there are some people who take a picture of their food and then complain that it's cold <laughs> when they take their first bite. But that's a whole other yeah, conversation. No yeah. I'll take a picture of my cup of noodles. <laughs> <laughs> some Sapporo Ichiban? Mackling, <laughs> um, what about you? Well, on behalf of my kids, I miss the activities that they're in, but I do not miss my part-time job, which does not pay very well as a chauffeur mm. you know it's going to be really <laughs> difficult to give back the free time that i've gained during the pandemic not shuttling kids all over hell's half acre as my grandfather used to say to get them from volleyball to basketball to piano to guitar lessons and then of course all the other obligations we used to have that uh, were associated with our job I- i'm really not missing those. Can I say that out loud? So you need to tell us at 204-780-6868. We would love for you to tell us to name something you have not missed during lockdown. And we'll share those throughout the morning. And that'll be our playful distraction as we, of course, continue the conversation on what happened south of the border. So 204-780-6868. What don't you miss from before the pandemic? As you know, what happened yesterday, protesters banging on doors as they breached the halls of Congress to delay the business at hand. But indeed, the United States Congress did eventually formally validate Joe Biden's presidential election victory. As you just heard in the news with Skylar Peters, the House and Senate certified the Democrats' electoral college win early this morning. Yeah, that happened around 2.30 a.m. our time, Brett, and it was pretty much the only major news alert I woke up to this morning, but I think I can speak for many who probably went to bed last night worried they might wake up to all sorts of different kinds of headlines, potentially concerned about violence after officials put Washington under curfew last night, Greg. After a day of violence, Loren, there was relative peace on Capitol Hill last night, but the deadly dark day has left many wondering how it happened and what's next as American America works its way towards the inauguration of Joe Biden in 13 days time. David Churchill is a history professor at the University of Manitoba, joins us now. Good morning, David. Sorry, David, go ahead. Good morning. What are the lingering questions you have this morning after yesterday's historic day? Well, I think one of the things that people are going to have to figure out is how did it happen? Why was it such a surprise to the uh, police officers on the Capitol and uh, the security? Uh, Because it's not something that normally happens. And in the protests we saw this summer, we saw a huge uh, show of force. Um, in terms of the Black Lives Matter uh, protests in Washington. But in this one, they seemed really caught off guard and ill-prepared. And one wonders what if that was just uh, a lack of leadership at the Justice Department and, and at Homeland Security or what it is. So we'll probably have a pretty deep dive into what went, how this came about and what uh, actually happened. So, yeah, that's our next question. What's next here? Where do you even begin you know, to sift through what happened? 
Well, I think I think there's going to be this this reflection, but also uh, at some point, uh, looks like the Republican leadership are going to have to have a pretty serious uh, rethink of of the role of Trumpism and this this hardcore base that uh, Trump has really fostered and um, has you know incited. Uh, and how they're going to go ahead, and if they can, if there's a possibility to return to some sort of, you know, normal. We live in the air age of hyperpartisanship in the United States, and that is going to continue. It's not going to abate. Uh, but I do think that uh, many of the, the leaders we saw, you know, Mitch McConnell and others, really speaking out against what happened yesterday in a forceful way that they hadn't in the previous four years, where they really acquiesced uh, to Trump. You know, I was watching so much coverage last night. I think a lot of people were listening uh, to their radios or online or what have you, David, just trying to figure out what was going on. And one of the things that I heard on CNN was the fact that nobody has stormed the Capitol Hill. I think they had said since the Civil War. And, you know, the, the word unprecedented has been thrown out so much. But this really and truly, I mean, we look to other countries and we see this. We expect this potentially in, in some other countries, but not in America, and I think that was what was truly startling for most, most people. So, you know, looking back on history, is it fair to say this is unprecedented? We've never seen this kind of action before? In terms of the scale, absolutely. Um, you know, the War of 1812, Washington was overrun uh, by the British troops, but uh, um, there have been a few minor incidences, or minor, well, serious in some ways. Uh, there, were, there was a shooting, for example, in uh, 97, I believe, and uh, another one in the 50s. But other than that, uh, nothing like this has ever happened. But we did see earlier this past year in places like Michigan where uh, protesters with long guns overran uh, local security and took possession for a short time of state capitol buildings. So there was, at least in that sense, a, a, a kind of predecessor of this that we probably or the, the government should, probably should have been aware of and thinking about well, I was going to ask you about the 25th Amendment, but you bring up Michigan, and I can't help but wonder, Professor Churchill, if uh, that was a dry run for what we saw yesterday. Well, you know, I think that's a, a really good point. I think it, it, we can really think maybe it was. There have been these sorts of protests, and, and uh, I think there has been these sort of sentiment, the sense of these uh, people, these riders, as being aggrieved, but also that they have uh, the ownership of, of the state and uh, they see their opponents as uh, illegitimate. So the failure to recognize the people who disagree with them politically, who vote for a different party, as having standing as, as being genuine and true Americans. If, we, if we've got just about 30 seconds, and I know it's hard sure. to sum up constitutional points in 30 seconds, David, but a lot of people have been talking about this idea of the 25th Amendment. It was brought in decades ago as a way to maybe help uh, offices through the fact uh, of having an, either a leader that is physically unable to do the job or maybe even mentally. And so there's a lot of people saying this morning that they could invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump. For the, and get him out of office so we don't have to go through another 13 days of potential instability. Is this something that's likely to happen? I don't think so. It's really something that has to come from the vice president and from uh, the majority of the cabinet members. They have to be the ones who initiate the process because they're, according to Article 4 of the, 15, uh, of the 25th Amendment, they're the ones who can make the determination and start the process. And there is a process. Uh, where they you know, make the assertion that 
the president's unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. And then, you know, it goes to Congress. The president has an opportunity, uh, if he's able, to uh, say, no, I'm, I'm perfectly capable. And then it would go to a vote that which would, would require two-thirds majority in both chambers. I just don't think that's uh, realistic, and uh, uh, it's unlikely to happen. David Churchill is a history professor at the University of Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you very much for this. Thank you. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. Mackling McGarry McNabb, that of course, President Donald Trump, in a video that he posted on Twitter yesterday afternoon, which was then removed. There are no new tweets from Donald Trump this morning. Loren, at least, not yet. Yeah, and then Twitter took that video down and a couple of other tweets, three three other tweets from U.S. President Donald Trump because they found them to be untrue and unfactual and could per- it lead to more violence. And so we know the election was not stolen from Donald Trump, but he has repeated that line. And so yesterday, Twitter locked the president's account for 12 hours. And so I just checked now. He hasn't tweeted since those tweets were removed. I don't know if that ban has been lifted, but it wasn't just Twitter. Facebook and Instagram followed saying... There were repeated and severe violations of their platform's integrity policy. And so they all suspended him after U.S. supporters, his supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol building yesterday, Greg. Yeah, well, you could argue that social media has been the lifeblood of Donald Trump's presidency. Amy Morrison is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo. We visited with her in the past. We welcome her back to the show and her work and research looks into social media interactions. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Thanks for taking uh, some time here. What took Twitter and Jack at Twitter so long uh, to do this? Well, they have long um, used the argument that since Trump is a democratically elected leader, that it doesn't matter what he says, that it has public interest value and news value, right? So they've put Trump as well as other world leaders into a special category where the rules that would get, you know, the ban hammer dropped down on you or me, for example, don't apply to world leaders, right? So they're trying to make a sort of philosophical case about some speech is more protected than other speech. On the other hand, Trump is an outgoing president, um, and it's pretty clear that a lot of this violence yesterday was organized, incited, fomented, supported, right, and continued through online means. And the pressure was very much building um, for them to do something about um, this, the sort of lies <laughs> disseminated um, by a president who seemed to be enjoying almost the violence that was happening, particularly since that president um, will be outgoing in the next two weeks, right? So these sites are beginning a little bit to look to the future when they will not be sort of under the thumb of Donald Trump's whims when he you know, claims to be making some kind of regulations and it's going to ban some types of this and he's going to unleash his crowds on, on them. These social media sites are beginning to look to the future, but also beginning to look to the right now where they can see that their inactions are producing um, historic um, kinds of violence. What can we learn from this? Um, well, I think we can learn, first of all, that political action of all kinds happens on social media. So the Black Lives Matter protests this summer were very largely 
organized through social media as well. And a lot of the the stories and the reporting coming through that was through citizen journalism and citizen organizing in online spaces, right? Um, The police response to that was immediate and fairly violent. Um, There are images circulating yesterday of the National Guard being deployed um, to the Lincoln Monument in advance of a planned Black Lives Matter protest in numbers where they did not seem to appear until several hours after the rioting started in Washington yesterday. So we can see how things draw different types of responses. And the organization for this particular event yesterday has been visible on mainstream social media sites since late December, right? So it was always a planned thing that January 6th was going to be a huge rally of people protesting the election. And there's been a lot of very visible, very public chatter online from the people who participated in these riots yesterday that they were planning violent riots, right? Um, And somehow um, a police response was not coordinated in advance to that, right? So I think politics of all stripes is happening in online spaces. Um, The ability to gather gather crowds um, is quite large. And this idea now that it's just online chit-chat, it's not the real world, I think we have put the lie to that several times already in the past 12 months. What do you say, Amy, to those out there who might say, hang on, he is making an argument, freedom of speech, all those things that we we take and hold to be true are supposed to succeed on a social media mm-hmm. platform like Twitter. So for those that out there that are saying, well, this isn't fair and this isn't right and it's not for what someone at Twitter to decide what is or isn't valid, what do you say to those folks? Um, well, I would say that um, there's a sort of very famous um, idea from the utilitarian philosopher John Stuart Mill that, you know, you're right your right to act, your freedom to act extends only so far as the end of my nose, right? So you can swing all the punches you want, but it doesn't give you the right to hit me in the face, right? And there have always been limits to free speech based on um, foreseeable and immediate harm, right? So in nowhere is it legal to stand up, as a classic example, in a crowded movie theater and yell fire, right? Because that would create a panic uh, for no reason. That's speech in bad faith, right? So speech that is attached um, to actions that are themselves illegal has always been regulated, right? So if we can see someone inciting a mob online um, to produce violence and destruction um, in buildings or in political structures or in what have you, that speech is already illegal, right? Uh, it's a kind of collusion and collaboration. Um, and when speech is attached to actions, you can say what you like, but if you're speech produces an illegal consequence that could have been predicted from your act of speaking, there are already prohibitions against that that type of activity. Donald Trump becomes a private citizen in just over 13 days, Amy. Will his account be subject to different rules henceforth? Absolutely. Absolutely, because he will no longer be shielded um, by this protection that, that Twitter affords to elected officials, particularly um, national elected officials, right? So um, this whole uh, presidential term where he has um, been producing falsehoods online, where he has been um, reproducing hate speech online, where he has been sort of um, fomenting violence online, the argument the whole time was like, yes, a regular person would be banned for this type of speech. And yes, a regular person would have this tweet removed. But since he is the president of the most important democracy in the world, it is in the public's interest that we leave this speech intact. And Twitter itself has said 
that rule obviously doesn't apply anymore the minute um, that the presidency is handed over on January the 20th. And um, it's entirely possible um, that he could be banned at that point. I mean, whether that's optically um, in a public relations way, a move that they want to take immediately or if they'll wait for a certain number of transgressions, which are almost guaranteed to happen fairly rapidly um, if they want to wait for that. But, yeah, it'll be much more difficult for social media services to make the case um, that his speech must remain on these sites when it breaks so many of the rules that the rest of us are held to. Amy Morrison is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo, and her work and research looks into social media interactions. Amy, thank you as always for the chat. This is wonderful. Thank you. We continue to look south after yesterday's historic, insane events in the U.S. Capitol, Greg. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you can encapsulate the feeling of a day, of a game, of an event with a collection of clips, whether they be video or they be audio. In this case, they will be audio. And and did Kyle Milroy Brett take over for you as Charles Adler's technical producer once upon a time? He did. So he got famous for something called the Milroy Montage. In fact, it was one of my favorite things about Fridays on Charles Adler's show. It was a collection of the best sounds of the week. Well, yesterday, Kyle Milroy, one of his many talents, is putting those sounds together, and he's done this for you. You have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. After blocking a video and a subsequent tweet posted by President Trump in which he continued to make unfounded and false claims about winning the election, Twitter has now locked Trump's account for 12 hours. Twitter saying if the tweets are not deleted by the president, then the account will remain locked and that future violations of Twitter rules will result in permanent suspension of President Trump's Twitter account. This behavior is just morally reprehensible and shows that, you know, white supremacy, I believe, is still very much alive and real. And it's and it's and it's a completely double standard. And it's very sad. We got to calm things down in this country, but it's completely unacceptable. To those who wreaked havoc in our capital today, you did not win. Violence never wins. Freedom wins. And this is still the people's house. Hopefully uh, uh, everything will uh, will return to normal shortly, but uh, uh, we're going to continue to do what we need to do to, uh, uh, to, to make sure that Canadians are, uh, are, are well served in our relationship with the United States, uh, regardless of uh, how things unfold. There is a significant uh, police force up there, and they should be accustomed to handling these things. This is something that should have been anticipated. Attention, a curfew is in effect at 1800 hours until 600 hours tomorrow. All individuals must leave the U.S. Capitol grounds or be subject to arrest. What kind of gift have we offered to Russia and what kind of gift have we offered to those around the world who would look at democracy and laugh and say that it's a system that just doesn't work? I mean, this isn't just bad for america this is bad for canada donald trump could have stopped this he could have he encouraged he encouraged people to protest he he still doesn't want to give up on the election it's really a tragic ending to the trump years to storm the capitol to smash windows to occupy offices the floor of the united states senate rummaging through desks 
on the Capitol, on the House of Representatives, threatening the safety of duly elected officials. It's not protest. It's insurrection. I mean, this is basically domestic terrorism and the, the, what's so unusual about it, it was instigated by the president of the United States. The Milroy montage. Thank you very much, producer Kyle, for putting that together, summing up yesterday's events. So tomorrow, January 8th, it is the day that Level Red uh, it was set to go to, and many have been wondering, is are the restrictions going to be eased? Uh, are we going to be able to go to restaurants again? Am I going to be able to get my hair cut again? But with the numbers, the way they're going, that's uh, GMAC, I think. The, and it's, you'd think we would know by now if they were already, if they were planning to loosen the restrictions a little bit. If, you, if I had uh, $5 for every time somebody in the last week or so has asked me what I thought was going to happen on Friday. I wouldn't have to work here. Um, <laughs> seriously, everybody wants to know. And I think that when you're asking me that question, and I include you in this, Brett, I think you sort of know the answer, at least in your gut, oh, in yeah. the back of your head, is the fact that probably not much is going to change. I don't know how fair it is for us to speculate about that right now, Loren, but that that would be my personal opinion that based on a little bit of a, a bump and the, and the knowledge that, was it uh, 60 cases yesterday were traced to, to Christmas gatherings? And so that's got to be of concern because uh, we're only 12, 13 days removed from Christmas, not a full incubation period yet. And I think that's sort of where the rub is in my mind. If, if these restrictions were ending on Monday, perhaps, we, we would have a much better idea of how well behaved we were or weren't over Christmas. Yeah, so tomorrow marks two weeks since Christmas Day, which we know had some people gathering. And that's sort of the incubation period, as you mentioned, for the virus is if people gathered on Christmas Day or in and around Christmas, we'd have a good sign of how many did or didn't uh, gather based on the numbers around now, right? And so this is the this is the crucial time to look at. And then, of course, I think you have to also remember New Year's was just a week ago. So if mm-hmm. people got together in and around that time, you still have to wait a few more days to see what the numbers might show from that. And so I think it's too early for them personally to come out tomorrow and say, this is, this is what we're looking at, but they might, there might be a couple things that they could change or adjust or, or forecast that they are going to look to adjust first. But again, January 8th is the day that these public health orders expire. And I think it's actually midnight Friday. And so I'm not, I've never been clear if that's midnight in 14 hours from now or 15 hours from now or midnight, you know, into 12 Saturday. 12 Saturday. Well, yeah, so I, but but regardless, you know, the, the level red that we're at, it, technically those orders expire tomorrow. And so we'll, we will hear tomorrow what they have to say about it. And then when you I looked out, oh, sorry, Loren. Um, no, I just don't think we're going to hear, you know, that life goes back to normal anytime soon. And then you look out east to Quebec, which is finally entering its own lockdown. And they've gone even a step further. They've got a province-wide curfew Mm -hmm. from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m., the first of its kind in Canada. Uh, The only exceptions will be for essential workers or if you're walking your dog near your home. Well, it's good that they uh, at least accounted for you walking Fido or or whiskey or whatever your dog's name might be. Look, this is something that the premier uh, in our province, Brian Pallister, suggested as a possibility weeks and weeks ago. We didn't get to that point, uh, but it just clearly indicates, Loren, that Quebec is sort of 
maybe at the end of their rope in terms of things that they have up their sleeve, tricks that they can pull out, so to speak, in order to combat their ever-increasing numbers there. Well, there's an argument to be made, and I'm reading some tweets from Global Mail reporter Les Perot, who spent some time here in Manitoba, and he's saying, suggesting that perhaps this decision to have this curfew is because they didn't go far enough two weeks ago with Christmas and with New Year's looming, and so therefore this is sort of, you know, maybe closing the barn door after all the animals got out kind of thing, but you know, <laughs> these are the, is that not the same? I love it. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> I just, so, I just and then a, they ran to the shelter belt, but there wasn't one. <laughs> Sorry, Julian, there's, that, after the images from yesterday, that was the image I needed in my head. I just pictured a bunch of animals fleeing this barn and then someone just sort of closing the door and saying, well, that's it. I give up. We auger get out of here. I saw someone suggest that's what Twitter's a- actions were, right? When they finally shut down his account mm. for 12 hours, that that was like closing the barn door after all the animals. Had- <laughs> and in the meantime, we continue the conversation on this. The president is just watching this on TV. He is now a spectator of the destruction that he has unleashed. He is not acting as a commander-in-chief anymore. He is just a television viewer-in-chief uh, watching all of this unfold. And it is, it's disgraceful. It's just one of the most disgraceful things I think we're ever going to witness in our lives. That is CNN White House Chief Jim Acosta from around 2.30 yesterday afternoon. And you heard what he said to describe, but there are all sorts of terms being used to describe what we saw inside and outside the U.S. Capitol building yesterday, Loren. And as we've always said, really, words matter. So do the definitions and really the legal definitions of these words that have been thrown out, like mob or riot or insurrection. Yes, and then there is, of course, constitutional law and what happens when and what has to happen before this can happen to help us sort sort it all out is Professor Dale Carpenter. He is the Judge William Hawley Atwell Chair of Constitutional Law at Southern Methodist University at the Dedman School of Law in Dallas, Texas. Good morning, Professor Carpenter, and thank you for making time for us this morning. Good morning. I'm happy to be with you. So how would you describe what the world saw in Washington, D.C. yesterday? I think what the world saw yesterday was akin to a day of infamy. It was a disgrace to our system of government. It was an attack on our system of government, and not just on a building, but on lawful processes of government and the peaceful and orderly transfer of power. Um, it was sad and disgraceful, appalling. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to sometimes to put things into words in terms of what we saw yesterday. But the word disgraced has been used. Disgraceful has been used a lot, Professor. And, and then the other one that we mentioned earlier was the term insurrection. Can you just walk us through what exactly this means, the, the definition of it? And is that the right term to use for what happened at the U.S. Capitol? It may very well be the right term in the sense that an insurrection is an attack by force on the lawful processes of the government of the of the country or whatever government is in power. And um, and those attacks can uh, should should be resisted and can be punished um, if you incite people to unlawful action, as an insurrection would be you yourself are liable for punishment for doing so, and there can and should be consequences for doing so. One of the things I saw trending 
late yesterday on Twitter, I believe, was the word treason. Could the actions by those taken at the Capitol be described as treason? Well, that's a harder call because uh, treason actually involves giving aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States in a more direct sense, not just simply holding the country up to ridicule before foreign nations, as we already are by the actions of yesterday, but actually directly giving them some kind of, of, of aid. Um, so treason would be a harder word to apply to this, but um, um, I, I'm sure in a, in a colloquial sense, what happened yesterday was a kind of treason against the principle of democratic government. Professor Dale Carpenter is a professor of law at Southern Methodist University joining us now. And Professor Carpenter, you you talked about this notion or spoke of and mentioned this idea of of inciting a riot or inciting actions of other people uh, towards what we might have seen as an insurrection. Rudy Giuliani, uh, using the terminology, let's have a trial by combat. How much more insightful does it get than that? Well... You know, the words of Rudy Giuliani over the past few months have uh, themselves uh, been words of incitement. And the kinds of things that the president has been saying, including in his speech yesterday, right before uh, this mob marched on the Capitol, were themselves a form of incitement. And if any sort of ordinary person had riled up a crowd like that and said, let's march on down to the Capitol, and then a riot ensued, I think we could expect to see charges against someone like that for doing so. That would be the natural and probable consequence of the words that they had used. And even if you didn't see a conviction, you could at least see charges being brought. Certainly an investigation would be brought if it were an ordinary person. Do you have any expectation of that happening here again? Because not an ordinary person. We are talking about the U.S. president. I don't have an expectation of it happening. Um, Certainly not in the next few weeks before uh, uh, President Biden becomes um, uh, president of the president elect Biden actually becomes president of the United States. Um, In theory, it could happen. Uh, It could be that. The, that, that the president violated federal law in doing what he did uh, in multiple ways. He could, in, in theory, be charged with violations. But, of course, the other interesting question that comes out of all of this is, does President Trump attempt now to pardon himself? Does that make, make it more likely, given the credible claims that could be made that he has violated the law and his oath under the Constitution? Well, let's ask you about that. Do we know who can answer the question? Is he allowed to do that? Because I've heard uh, just this notion of uh, pardoning uh, oneself, but does it apply to state law, federal law? Can can you sort that out for us, Professor? It would only apply to federal law, and it would ultimately a question, a a kind of prosecution would have to be brought under federal law. Uh, President Trump would have to move to dismiss those charges on the grounds that he had pardoned himself or enjoyed some kind of immunity. Um, And that issue would have to go to the courts. And ultimately, that issue could be decided in the United States Supreme Court, of which the conservatives now hold a six to three majority, three of whom were appointed by President Trump himself. 
Sorry, I just go ahead, to ask one final question, and apologies, Professor. This the Twenty Fifth Amendment. So we've asked all sorts of things that could happen. Another one is the invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Is that likely to occur? And can you walk our listeners through just what what exactly is that? Yeah, it's unlikely. Uh, I'll just give you the, the that's the the, the the upshot. I think it's unlikely, probably very unlikely. But the the mechanics of it would be that the vice president would have to go essentially to the cabinet and find a majority of the members of the cabinet. There are 17 of them. That is, find nine members of the cabinet to agree with him in writing that the president was now unfit for office, no longer able to discharge his duties as president. Um, and uh, then the vice president would become immediately the acting president of the United States. The president could then go to Congress and say, I object to this action. There could conceivably be then a vote in Congress on whether the president's objection is correct or not. And it would take a two-thirds vote of each House of Congress to actually remove him. If this provision were invoked, I don't think there would be enough time between now and the election for it actually to play out so that I think Mike Pence probably would become acting president. But to get Mike Pence to do that and to get the majority of the cabinet to do that is probably very unlikely, at least based on what we know right now. Professor Dale Carpenter, the Judge William Hawley Atwell Chair of Constitutional Law at Southern Methodist University School of Law in Dallas, Texas. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. Absolutely. And the the process he just uh, rolled out there, Loren, that's basically what I knew of the 25th Amendment, because that's what they did to President David Palmer in yep. one of my favorite TV shows, 24, starring Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. You, well, you know, it all comes back to TV. Well, did I was... Were you eating Taco Bell while you saw that episode? <laughs> I wanted to quickly mention, if you want to learn a little bit about the ins and outs of inciting a riot and the legalities of which, the trial of the Chicago 7 is on Netflix right now. It features Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman, and it goes into and behind the scenes of the 1968 Chicago Democratic Convention where seven members, uh, seven individuals were charged with inciting that riot. It's a fascinating film. Should the Guess Who be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? That is the question of the day we are asking at CJOB.com this morning. And so far, the results have 83% saying yes without question. 13% say no, just not influential enough. And 4% say yes, Donna Summer's in, so why not them? So cast your vote CJOB.com or on Twitter, Loren, at 680CJOB. Yeah, and we're asking that question because it's been 50 years since the Guess Who lit up the charts with American Woman. But now there's this group, as you've been hearing in the news run with Skylar Peters, that they're trying to get this iconic Winnipeg band enshrined in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That group is called Guess Who for the Hall. You can head to our website, globalnews.ca, cjob.com, to read more and also find more how to sign this petition. But they're looking for one million signatures, Greg, by the end of February in an attempt to bring this stellar band and its great career to the Hall's attention. Yeah, and the petition has the support of our next guest, Alan Cross is a musicologist and broadcaster with Chorus. He's also a Manitoban. Alan Cross, good morning, sir. Good morning. I think a lot of people are probably waking up to this news and this news story this morning. Going, you mean the guess who aren't already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? 
Please tell us, Alan. Well, how, how is well, it that they're not? Well, Canadians have been largely overlooked by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm going to throw this number at you. How many Canadian artists are in the hall right now? How many? It's. I think the answer is five. The answer is five. Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, the band, Leonard Cohen, and Rush. Of those five, four of them went to the United States to seek their fame and fortune. Only Rush stayed in Canada and made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it took 15 years for the hall to recognize Rush for what they were to put them in. They were eligible in 1998. They didn't get in until 2013. This is wrong. Uh, there's only 2% of the Rock and Roll Hall and uh, the Hall of Fame inductees that are Canadian. And uh, I, I would be willing to bet that most Americans had no idea that four of those that I just mentioned were actually Canadian. But guess who deserves to be there? They were the biggest selling band in uh, the world in 1970. They outsold the Beatles. They had a number one hit with American Woman. They had a number of hit singles between about 68 and 74, 75 that uh, are still staples of oldies radio and uh, of classic rock radio around the planet. They were invited to perform at the White House. Uh, and, and generally, they, they were a, a massive, uh, you know, influence. When you consider too that Randy Bachman went on to form Bachman Turner Overdrive, and they too became an international hit. So the problem is that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction committee is pretty myopic. They can't really see beyond American borders. Of the 235-ish inductees, uh, 35 or so are British, two are Jamaican. Uh, one is Swedish, there's a couple from Ireland, the five from Canada, and that's about it. So they require a little bit of education when it comes to what has been coming out of the Great White North. And uh, this petition is aimed at doing just that. Alan, can you, for, for those who maybe are unfamiliar with how they got their name, do you remember the story of how that went down? They were known as Chad Allen and the Expressions at first, and they released a song called Shaken All Over in the middle 1960s. At the time, though, Canadian record, Canadian radio stations thought that all Canadian music was substandard, and they almost never gave Canadian artists a chance to make it on the radio. So the guests who had been, or Chad Allen and the Expressions, had been signed to quality records. And uh, this song they had called Shaken All Over sounded kind of British. So what they did was sent out a record to all these radio stations across the country without the band's name on it. Instead, they just put, guess who, with a question mark. And all these stations were suckered into playing it. And it was only afterwards that they were told that this was a Winnipeg band called Chad Allen and the Expressions. But the, the impact of that, that label, uh, guess who, caused them to change their name. So they played all over the world. Their songs were played all over the world, Alan. And you talked about sort of the, the Hall of Fame and, and it's being its myopic view. What is the criteria then that they list for getting in there? Is it about the most records? Does it sound like, I mean, what, what, what are they using as their benchmark? The only thing that you have to have, uh, the only criteria is that you have to have released your, your debut album at least 25 years ago. So the, the, that's, that's guess who beaten that by about 60 years. So uh, the, the problem is that you've got 900 people on the induction committee. They tend to look at only what's put in front of them. There is a lot of politicking. There's a lot of arm twisting. There's a lot of lobbying. 
Uh, I think the best example would be last year when Whitney Houston somehow managed to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when there was nothing rock and roll about Whitney Houston. In fact, she's the farthest thing from it. Great artist, to be sure, but had nothing to do with rock and roll whatsoever. You know what was going on there is that people were twisting arms to rehabilitate Whitney's image so they could continue to exploit her music beyond her death. That's, that's the only explanation for it. So what the Rock Hall needs is to be spoon-fed. Uh, we need to go in there with this petition, guess who for the hall.com, and uh, shake them up a little bit, saying, look at you guys, pay attention to this. And if we get them to pay attention, we might be able to fulfill stage one of this project, which is to get the guess who on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And then people can start chattering and talking and debating and arguing about the merits of that. Then we get the fan voting in there. And uh, hopefully that will convince the committee, the induction committee, to you know actually induct them. But at the very least, this will increase, we hope, the guess whose stature amongst, well, let's face it, we're playing, playing to an audience of 900. So it's, it's, not a, it's not having to impress 330 million people in the U.S., so the list is a little bit smaller than that. But if I may, just for a second, Alan, two things here I want to point out. Uh, there have been some extraordinary and some of the biggest bands in the world on The Simpsons, U2, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Aerosmith, the list goes on and on. Homer chants at uh, a Randy Bachman concert. Taking care of business. Taking care of business. One of the great guitar licks of all time. It's been used in advertising over the years. And then, of course, Mike Myers, Lenny Kravitz should get on board with the whole American woman thing. So maybe we've got to tap a few uh, other shoulders to get involved. Matt Greening and Mike Myers and Lenny Kravitz to, to stand up and step up to the plate on this. Absolutely. That, you know, and maybe this petition will get to them, that their voices would certainly carry an awful lot of weight. And once we get done with the guess who, we've got more work to be done. Uh, What about Gordon Lightfoot? Mm. What about Bachman Turner Overdrive? What about Brian Adams? What about Alanis Morissette? You know, huge international acts, all from Canada. And all of them, well, not so much Alanis towards the second part of her career, but all of them did what they did on an international stage from Canada. That's part of the problem. They weren't working out of the U.S. They were working from home. And we just got to work hard to really increase the hoser quotient uh, with the hall. (laughs) Did you say the hoser quotient? Is there something wrong with that? No, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I, where are the T-shirts available? <laughs> you, know, you know what? We, we, should, we should talk to Jenny, who is the person in, in Winnipeg that's uh, in, in charge of this whole thing. Yeah, what, what we need to do is we need T-shirts. You're right. Hoser quotient. Go ahead, Loren. I was just going to ask, Alan, is this about the fact, you know, like, is there an argument being made here that they should be in the Hall of Fame because why not so many others are? Or is it about just because the who they are and their influence on the musical world? Like, it, the, is the is the case just about the fact that they need to be there because why not? Or is there so much more to it then? Well, uh, there is a lot more. I mean, we, we talk about them as being a worldwide success. Uh, that I think meets uh, various you know criteria. Uh, there, when Whitney Houston actually over the last couple of years, uh, there were some complaints about, hey, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is running out of people to induct. Look who they're putting in. Whitney Houston made it in. Uh, you know, they're, they're running out of, 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 of acts. Well, the answer is no, they're not. 
They just got to look a little further beyond the ends of their nose, you know, to look to Canada, look to the UK, look to Australia. There are plenty of acts that deserve this kind of honor. It's just that they haven't been paying attention. Alan Cross is a musicologist. He is the host of the ongoing history of new music. He has a website. It is a journal of musical things.com. And as he mentioned, the website for this is guess who for the hall.com. Just looking at the petition right now, it looks like uh, seven, just over 700 people have signed. Uh, they just launched the petition today. They're hoping to get to a million signatures. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate this as always. Anytime. It is 9.47 on 680 CJOB. Yeah, when they first launched the petition this morning, Greg, I think the goal was just let's get to 200, yeah. and now it's let's get to 1,000. Uh, so hopefully throughout the day we can get a few thousand signatures. Mm-hmm. We've uh, sent the link out to a number of you who've asked for it, and if we send it to you, do us a favor. Pass it along to one or two of your friends that love Canadian music, that love Winnipeg music, because it really did... For Canadian rock and roll, it really did start here with Neil, Randy, and Bert. Thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.